This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, episode 45. NBA players may not necessarily be weightlifters, so they may not want to live in the weight room, but they definitely want to compete. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm Scott Caulfield. With me today, Ramsey Nijem, head performance and strength coach for the Sacramento Kings of the NBA. Coach, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, Coach. Excited to be here. We are at the 41st annual national conference. We are in the in the thick of things here in the exhibit hall. So if you hear any banging or people around us they're still kind of shuffling some stuff around we actually have a ton of posters behind us that people are defending how's the show been for you so far it's been great it's 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 always just nice to get back in in the thick of science and either you know check out posters or or presentations or um or just chat with people you know it's always just nice to catch up and, and feel the passion in the room for sure yeah and you uh you defended your thesis here so mm-hmm. talking about continuing education man just you're a, a doctor now so talk a little bit about you know doing that and what that process was like yeah absolutely so yeah i defended yesterday morning it was uh i was quite anxious to get it done as you could imagine mm-hmm. landed at midnight thursday pulled the all-nighter uh just editing slides and Honestly, it was already done, but it was the nerves of like, this has to look perfect. So stayed up through until 8 a.m. when I kicked it off with uh, my dissertation chairs, Dr. Alvar, uh, and then committee members are Dr. Brown and, and Dr. Capert. And and even even though I feel like a content expert in it, you really, you just are nervous. You don't want to let them down, honestly, yeah. right? It's like, so I'll present later today and I'm not nervous at all for that, but presenting just in front of those three people I'm like oh no don't mess this up so right. um but yeah it was it was something i started four years ago and it was just it really was just an extension of my master's program did the master's at cal state Fullerton center for sport performance and um really just got the bug of of research in in academia and appreciating science and so it just seemed like an easy transition uh however i didn't want to leave coaching so yeah. there was that debate in my head like well you know, you want to get a doctorate degree, but you don't want to go work in a lab because then you leave coaching and now people view you as more of a traditional PhD rather than a coach. So um, I was lucky to find a program that allowed me to do both and uh, took that through four years, obviously, which ended with the dissertation that we defended yesterday. And the dissertation was on workload monitoring in the MBA, specifically looking at uh, acute chronic workload ratios uh, and how they relate to injuries in the MBA. And then we, we ended by creating a prediction model uh which isn't a very good model but that's okay it's always just nice to put it out there and and show people hey some of these things may be related to injury however we probably can't use them to predict injury um and and so yeah we, we defended that yesterday and uh it just feels nice to get that off off the back a little bit yeah, and how how hard was that to do i mean you have a full-time job with mm-hmm. an nba team so yeah. it's not like you have this multitude of free time right, you have right. a family like how how hard is it to do that it was, you know, that's that's probably the number one question people give me, right? It's like, how did you manage to get it done? Uh, and I just always tell people it's, it was just a sacrifice of sleep, honestly. So it's, um, there is plenty of free time in the NBA. Uh, the the major time commitments of the NBA are just you have to be there, right? You have to be on the plane or on the bus or in the gym. Um, so you just have to be there. But there's not always work to do necessarily, right? Like during practice, um, hold for like a rehab case. 
usually that's that's time where yes you want to be watching practice but you could knock out some work on a computer so i just found times whether it was on the plane um, whether it was at the hotel rooms be between shoot arounds and game days there's usually a four hour period where you can get some work done there so um, just sneaking in work you know constantly and in over four years we were able to get it done that's cool man and uh yeah it's very doable to, to when it makes uh people who you know have made excuses when they hear like right. someone with a job like yours get it that maybe we uh need to step our game up but, <laughs> so what i mean go back to this what even made you want to go that route in the first place yeah yeah, yeah. so i started uh relatively young so i started as really a strength and conditioning coach um really just seven years ago uh and so i did my undergrad at uc santa barbara and my first internship was at uc santa barbara with the athletics program and my first mentor was dr jeremy Bettle. and uh so i go in and meet him and he has a phd and i'm sitting there thinking like doctor why you don't need a doctor to be a strength coach you just need to lift weights um and so that was kind of my first introduction of the science of what we do and i remember seeing the blue jasper journal and i'm like what is this and he said take it home and read learn something kid you know um <laughs> uh, so took that home and i remember reading you know a couple articles in there i'm like man this is amazing i didn't know this was a science i didn't know this was, you can do experiments you know in those types of things so i think that really just got that started kind of what has culminated to the doctorate but um from there decided hey i need to get a master's i, I really need to learn how to understand literature understand statistics um so did the masters at Cal State Fullerton. I remember that I was looking at a few different programs and when I get to Fullerton for my visit, um, obviously I meet the legend of Dr. Lee Brown and uh, he asked me, hey, well, what do you want to study? I said, well, honestly, I'm a strength coach. I got my CSCS and I want to study athletes. I've been training athletes. I want to continue training athletes. I want to study athletes. And so we're in the, I remember, you know, vividly, we're in, the, we're in his lab and he kind of looks up and points at it along the wall and says, you see all those papers? That's us studying athletes. That's what we do here. Hmm. And so I'm like, man, I got to come here. So went there, obviously had an incredible experience. Um, again, just, just the training of understanding how to really digest the literature and, and critically evaluate it. Um, and then from there, it was like, man, you might as well keep it going. I was, I was relatively young at the time. I was 22, I think, at the time. So um, that made it easy. Uh, I, I'm always considered myself a decent student so I did my undergrad in three years I did the master's in really one year wow. uh, and so I was relatively young and so it was like well you're going to continue learning you might as well get letters for it kind of yeah, thing like sure. if I'm going to stay up until 2 3 a.m reading material anyways I might as well get something for that that I can document yeah um, so that was kind of that like well you if if I know I'm going to keep doing this I might as well get some letters for it um, and so that's what kind of pushed me all the way through and then Leaving uh, Cal State Fullerton, I called Dr. Brown and said, hey, really considering a doctorate program. However, I want to still coach. What should I do? He says, call Dr. Brent Alvar and, and chat with him. And so that was kind of the next progression was chatting with Dr. Alvar. He laid out the vision of the program. Um, and so I, it was, you know, really a no brainer for me to sign up and, and kind of jump in the thick of that. Nice. And who were you guys working with when you were at Fullerton? What kind of... Uh athletes were you coaching what kind of studies were you doing then when you're doing your masters yeah absolutely so uh when i first got to fullerton um i considered trying to work as an intern or a ga with with their programs there but they were actually full already and um so i ended up taking on a local volleyball team um and then doing some kind of freelance work or entrepreneur type things on the side just to to maintain my foot in the coaching door for that year um but when i left 
when I left UC Santa Barbara, there was a, so my first mentor, Dr. Jeremy, Met, uh, Jeremy Bettle that I mentioned, he ended up leaving to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, he's now with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. The person that replaced him was uh, Chip Schaefer, who came from the NBA. Uh, and so as I'm leaving UC Santa Barbara, Chip says, hey, why don't you stick around and earn a master's online and really coach here still? Um, and I said, you know, I really just want to get in a brick and mortar type building. I, yeah. I need the training. I think it's going to be difficult to get that in an online format. Uh, so he kind of said, hey, you know, I really appreciate what you've done for us. I could tell you really want to be an NBA strength coach. I, he knew some people, right? That was yeah. kind of his thing. I know some people. I can help yeah. you out. Um, so he said, hey, go get your master's and I'll take care of you. And so that was really the driving force behind me accelerating the master's. It was like, yeah. hey, I know if I get this done, yeah. he might be able to take care of me. So I ended up doing the master's in a year. Um, and just to maintain the foot in the coaching door, I just worked with some local kind of high school teams. Um, but I didn't actually work with any of the collegiate programs there. And then my master's thesis was on uh, deadlifting with and without chains, so looking okay. at some accommodating resistance. Uh, and then from there, we just we brought in, I think it was like 13 subjects that but really just all my buddies, they're all strength coaches. Um, we knocked out data collection pretty rapidly and they all came in, they all had experience deadlifting. So it was an easy you know, pro uh, process to get that done. So yeah, I didn't actually work with any of the forwards and teams, gotcha. but I just kept a foot in the coaching kind of ground while really just trying to get through that program with the hope that, hey, I'm gonna get this done and then I'm gonna yeah. call Chip and yeah, the Chip's yeah. gonna take care of me. And, um, and, and, and you know, it happened. So, you know, I was fortunate for sure. Cause uh, long story short, the way I got to the NBA was actually through Chip. So. You know, it all kind of came together. Yeah. So how did you know? You said, you know, you wanted to be an NBA strength coach. When did that light bulb go off or how did you decide, you know what, I want to go to the NBA? Because mm -hmm. not, I mean, there's definitely, you know, obviously there's strength coaches in the NBA, but it's still be kind of becoming like really official that, mm -hmm. you know, every team has two strength coaches now. Yep. We don't necessarily automatically think of the NBA when you think of yeah, <laughs> strength sure. and conditioning, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I played ball my whole my whole life. And, okay. Um, I actually went to went to UC Santa Barbara because it's a good school, uh, you know, education-wise. And so I try to walk on the team there, but for the listeners that haven't met me, I'm, I like to tell people I'm a good 5'11", but definitely <laughs> lying there. Uh, I'm 5'10 on a solid day. Uh, so, you know, I didn't didn't make the team, but considered tran transferring to UC San Diego because I was a D2 school and then the academics were still high. So it was kind of like, hey, I can keep my mom happy because the academics are good, but uh, I can still play ball. And at the time, um, I remember talking to my older brother. He's like, well, just become a personal trainer. You work out all the time. And I'm like, huh, personal trainer? What the heck? <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, you just take a test or something. And so because I was a good student, I knew I would be able to do that. Um, and that was kind of like the light bulb. It was like, okay, well, you got a few options at this point. If you want to continue in basketball, you're going to have to go overseas and live a rough life. And um, skill-wise, especially relative to, like, NBA athletes, I'm not there. So right. um, decided, well, if you, can't, if you can't be an NBA player, maybe you can help NBA players. Nice. Um, and so that was kind of the, the – it probably was like a six-month transition of, okay, you got to hang up the hoop dreams yeah. and then just find a career in basketball. Yeah. And so um, it came together, I guess, pretty quickly. And – I was just real fortunate. I remember right when I walked into UC Santa Barbara uh, for an internship, you know, Jeremy said, hey, yeah, send, send a resume over. And, and I did that, and he didn't get back to me. And so I would follow up almost every day with him. Uh, 
and he probably doesn't know this, but that was mainly because the facility was in between my classes and my house. Okay. So it was just yeah. easy for me to walk in yeah. and bug him. I think he eventually realized, like, dang, this kid's not going to leave me alone. Uh, so he says, man, just take a seat in the office. And so he comes in and, you know, closes the door and sits down and says, tell me what you want. I said, well, I want to be an NBA strength coach. Um, and he looked back at me with the most confidence and said, I am going to be an NBA strength coach. And I remember that confidence, and I'm thinking, like, well, how are you going to be an NBA strength coach? So he already had some things in place to, to make it happen, obviously. Um, so, it, you know, I just bit, was really fortunate to have kind of a dream to become an NBA strength coach. And, you know, one of my first experiences was with the guy that ended up being an NBA strength coach. The guy that replaced him has been in the NBA for 25 years. So wow. it was really a lot of fortune, obviously, to, to sure. get here. But um, my desire to be an NBA strength coach really stems from my desire to be an NBA player. That's cool. That's cool. And where uh, – so when – when did you actually kind of take that? I mean, that networking obviously was a huge part of it mm-hmm. to be able to meet the right people and kind of put those things in place. But then when did it kind of become the reality that you're like interviewing and all this stuff where you get the calls? Yeah, so uh, when Chip first got to UC Santa Barbara, um, and Chip Chip Schaefer was the head athletic trainer for the Bulls in the 90s, um, kind of Phil Jackson's guy, uh, became kind of a bridge position of athletic trainer strength coach for the Lakers in the early 2000s. And then when Phil Jackson retired, um, NBA lockout year, I believe, and um, the entire staff got let go. And that's relatively typical, like right. to the NBA, right. or fairly typical. Uh, well, Chip's son happened to be an alumni from UC Santa Barbara oh, wow. and the position had just opened because Jeremy left to the Brooklyn Nets and so um, it was easy for them to bring in Chip obviously somebody with that type of resume and uh, so when he came in um, he kind of said hey you know I know some people we'll see what we can do for you and so after spending six months with him just coaching with him and then really working out with him every day like we'd close up shop around 5 p.m. or whatever and we would just lift and I was asking you know, originally was asking kind of the, the, the kid question of, hey, who was better, Jordan or Kobe? You know, how was Shaq? Those types of things. Um, those questions eventually turned into, like, real strength and conditioning questions and then, like, family questions. And so um, it was really the progression of, like, a fan, strength coach, mentor type of relationship. And so I uh, ended up graduating from UC Santa Barbara in 2012. And, uh, you know, I go to Chip and say, hey, I'm going to go back home for the summer. You know, do you have any you know, opportunities that might help me continue learning and growing? So let me see what I can do. The next day, I get a call from the Golden State Warriors. And uh, I said, hey, Chip told us you're going to be back in town. We know you live near, you know, near our facility. Let's get you in for an interview for an internship. And I'm sitting there like, holy. And I remember <laughs> like the night before that interview, uh, I think I memorized the Wikipedia page on the Golden State yeah, Warriors yeah, yeah. Uh, just because I was nervous. I'm like, they might ask me who the <laughs> general manager was 15 years ago. So <laughs> what do um, I need to know? <laughs> exactly. How do, how do we how do we impress? Uh, and so that ended up falling through. But they placed me at uh, with an internship with actually Dr. Don Chu, so former president okay. of the NSCA. Wow. So I spent some time um, at Athercare with him in, in Castro Valley. Um, but that was kind of, I think, the first like, oh, man, this could become a reality because Chip got me an interview and I had no business having an interview um, for an internship so I think that was kind of like okay this can be something this can be more than just like a funny dream it can be a reality Uh, and then from there just kind of took off so I did the masters I ended up after the masters I went to uh, to start a strength and conditioning program at Santa Barbara City College and that was an experience man it was uh, I was looking at a few different options and the athletic director at the time uh, interviewed me uh, it was a Friday. A few hours later, he calls and says, hey, we want you to take the program. We want you to start the program here. 
and uh, his name was Ryan Byrne. He actually just texted me uh, an hour ago saying congratulations. And uh, I said, hey, man, you know, I'm kind of feeling some things out. Do you mind if I just take it through the weekend and get back to you first thing Monday? He said, yeah, sure. It must have been 30 minutes. He calls back. says, you know what, man? I'm telling you, this is your program. He was so passionate. Um, and I remember his passion just, like, fueled me. I was like, you know what? Sign me up. And so um, – as I went back to Santa Barbara to start that program, it was it was beautiful. We had an outdoor weight room, and wow. for the listeners, if they just Google Santa Barbara City College Stadium, okay. they will see literally a football stadium that sits on the ocean. Wow. Uh, and so we had an outdoor weight room on a football stadium on the ocean. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I was 22 at the time, um, and I was the head of the, the head strength coach starting the program. So we had like 17 teams, and so it was just exponential learning for wow. me. But as I as I took that on, I also worked at a place uh, nearby in Santa Barbara called P3, which is um, pretty well known in the NBA space for training NBA athletes and testing NBA athletes. And so I interviewed there for a position and got got the position that was uh, supposed to place me with the Atlanta Hawks. So that was kind of another opportunity. And then that fell through as well. So here I was kind of 22 at the time thinking like, man, every opportunity is falling through. I'm never going to make it. But now retrospectively, I look at that like, man, you were just a kid. You know what I mean? Like, um, but those those opportunities kind of just kept coming and falling. Um, Chip ended up calling me, offering me a G League position, but I turned that down because I thought I was going to the Hawks. And um, so there were some opportunities already lined up. And finally, in 2014, after one year at Santa Barbara City College, Chip calls me and says, "Hey, man, they're going to give me um, an assistant." He actually, if I was you know back back up a little bit, he actually ended up taking the Sacramento Kings job. Okay. Um, so he left UC Santa Barbara to go to the Sacramento Kings. He ran it uh, for one year on his own, and then they gave him an assistant. He okay. called me, said, hey, do you want to be an assistant? I said, absolutely. We didn't talk about pay. We didn't talk yeah. about any of that. I knew I was yeah. – he could have said, we'll pay you minimum wage, and right. I was going to go do it, obviously. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like it was, it was kind of this progression of dream to reality yeah. with just different opportunities presenting themselves. Wow, that's super cool. I like uh, what you said, too, and I don't know if other people are catching up on it, too, but, like, you're working at Santa Barbara City College. You're also working at P3. Like, you're hustling to get And I started the doctorate at the time, too. And starting the doctorate, uh, doing all these things. You're obviously, it's not like you just graduate and take this job and you're rolling in dough, right? You are, you are doing all these different things to get the experience that you knew you needed Mm -hmm. to get to the next level. Absolutely. That's pretty awesome. Um, Okay, so your assistant with the Kings and then Chip left to go somewhere else and so pretty much got promoted. (laughs) Yeah, so we spent uh, two years together um, and then uh, after, so that would have been three years for him. um, So after his third year and my second year, uh, the Chicago Bulls called and, you know, they brought him on. They offered him the director of sports science slash sport performance. I think he kind of holds both titles over there, uh, but really like an overseeing role, yeah. uh, which is coming fairly common now in the yeah. NBA. And, and it's really a model taken from some other other leagues. Um, so they offered him that, and that was obviously an opportunity for him to go back to Chicago where he started his career. He's also from Chicago. Okay, nice. um, so I think yeah. it was really like a homecoming for sure. him. And um, not to say he's getting older by any means, but uh, I think he's transitioning into like the idea of ending his NBA career yeah. at some point. So I yeah. think it just was a nice uh, transition for him to go back home and, and potentially finish his career off there. Uh, and so, yeah, he left, and I was 25 at the time, and I remember – he, I remember him calling me, and I remember, you know, my first response was, hey, Chip, that's awesome, congrats. My second question was like, uh, what does that mean for me? And he's like, well, we'll see, obviously, how, how it plays out. And um, so the next morning, we have an NBA draft workout, and uh, my current boss, Pete Youngman, 
comes up to me and says, "Hey, man, you think you could run this on your own?" And I'm, of course, like a run. It's right. draft testing. Like, yes, yeah. we. I've done plenty of that. Um, so my response, of course, Pete. And his second kind of comment was, "Well, just so you know, I'm going to be pushing for you to get the head job here." And I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> like let's do this." Uh, so that took some months to iron out. With yeah. the NBA offseason is just always hectic with draft process and then summer leagues and then free agencies. And so um, what that typically means is that lower level positions like a strength coach uh, kind of get put on the back burner until yeah. those things are ironed out. So it took some months, but I just kept plugging away and. Um, and finally, we got it ironed out, and, and they named me the head guy in 20, uh, was that 16? So, yeah, 16, 17, 17, 18. And now we're going into my fifth year, third as head with 18, 19 season. Awesome, man. That's super cool. So give us an idea. What What is it like? What's a day in the life of an NBA strength coach? Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit different practice days versus game days, and whether you're on the road or not. But uh, a typical game day, whether whether you're at home or on the road, um, you'll have a shoot around slash some film uh, usually around 10 a.m. Uh, 10 to 11 or so 10 to 11 30 uh, from there there's usually a, a brunch uh, 11 30 to about 12 12 30 and then from there most players we encourage just go back to the room and get a nap uh, and so typically the same thing for for the staff they'll go and get a nap but like I said earlier that's that was my time to kind of plug away on some work um, and then about 4 p.m. is usually the first bus. Tip-offs are usually at 7 or 7.30 p.m. And so uh, first bus will typically get you to the arena. Or if you're at home, you just need to get to the arena three hours before tip-off. And so typical game day might be, you know, we, we'll get in around 8 a.m., be there until about noon for our guys, anyone who wants to get some work done before or after the shoot-around. Um, a nice kind of four-hour block between, like, noon, 4 p.m., uh, and then... 4 p.m. to about 7 or 7.30 is kind of the pregame routines for everybody. And, and then you're locked in, obviously, game time, uh, 7.30 to, you know, 10 or so. Uh, and then you usually can get out by 11 p.m. or so. So game days are typically pretty long, especially if you don't go home during uh, the break between shoot-arounds and, and games. And then practice days are uh, a little bit shorter. So practice day, again, you probably get in by 8, especially for, like, a 11 a.m. practice, our staff will come in and we'll do kind of a staff lift from like maybe 8 to 9, shower, make sure we're ready for our guys. Um, guys will start trickling in maybe 9, 30, 10. And then from there, practice starts at 11. That might run a couple hours. So, you know, 11, 12, 1, have lunch, 2 to 3. And so by about 3 or 4 p.m., you, you know, you can really get out of the building. So practice days may be like really 9 to about 4 as far as work goes. And then game days are just really the entire day. Okay. And it's not like a, like a collegiate thing where you got, when the team's coming in, you got the whole team, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have certain guys come in at certain times. Mm -hmm. Do some guys like lifting in the morning? Some guys like lifting uh, pregame? Yeah. yeah. It so depends on the person. Yeah, it depends on the person. And like you said, it's, it's definitely not the same kind of workout blocks as like a college system where you got the whole team. It's our off-season model looks more like a college system where, you know, the five, six, all the way from eight to 11 guys that we may have in at a time. Um, they all will train together the hour before they get on the court together and they'll train on the court together and then they'll scrimmage. And so off season will look more like a college system. Um, but during season, yeah, we just kind of cater to um, our guys' routines. So especially if you're a vet, my general rule with our veterans are, hey, you've had success for, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up to close to 20 years right we had Vince Carter so right, right. Um, you've had you found success with the routines that you have yeah. um, and it, so it's not my job to come in and change those it's really my job just to come in and help you 
keep those things going. So with the vets, we, we give them, you know, uh, the responsibility to be, maintain their, their professionalism, and, and they do a good job of that. So some guys will come in before shoot-around. Some guys want to get it done after shoot-around. Some guys will come in before the game and get it done. Uh, and some guys want to knock it out after a game. So, you know, Vince Carter, for example, um, really a good professional, really physically prepared um, for the game and, and knows that he has to put in the work, obviously, um, as he gets up in, in age. So he's a guy that he really likes to do it after the game because he's already warmed and he's already yeah. got, you know, it takes him some time to really get yeah. going. And yeah. because he's already going, he might as well knock his lift out. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and then our younger guys, we kind of hold to a different standard a little bit um, in a sense that we do make them come in at specific times. Uh, and so during season, it's it's not uncommon to see, you know, your entire rookie sophomore kind of class together working out before practice. Yeah, and you guys had some younger guys too, right? Because I remember uh, Jesse Wright, my good friend with the Sixers, saying that they had some real young guys and they were almost like, they were really able to get it after it with these mm -hmm. guys. And I, I've seen you, I heard you talk about that and seen some of the training you guys do and like people might be surprised that, you know, that you guys are really getting after it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we try for sure. I think that's something we take our, you know, take pride in um, is there's definitely like this idea that, NBA players don't train harder right, right. Um, and while it may be true sometimes it's it's really like I think what when people make those comments it's hey you got to appreciate we play 82 games right, right. in 169 days yeah. um, like I'm fatigued just from the travel at times right. these guys are playing 35 minutes on top of those things on top of the stress that comes with agents and friends and family and yeah. contracts and playing time so we definitely try to appreciate those things but uh, we, I think we had the youngest roster in the NBA. We had 10 guys under the age of 25 years old. So, wow. um, you know, a lot of our guys are extremely young, which um, there's pros and cons of that from a physical preparation perspective, obviously. So a lot of times we might look at that and say, well, they're young. And, and I think that's like a traditional coach. They're young. They can just do it all. Right, right. Like, well, maybe, but they also haven't been exposed to the, the demands of an NBA season. And so we have to appreciate that as well. So, um, But because they are young and really because – no, we didn't really have anyone playing 35 minutes a night because we just had so many young guys. Our coach had to really have an extended rotation, uh, meaning that they were never really extremely fatigued from any one game. So we were able to really get after it with those guys for sure. That's great. What do you? So what are you guys doing? You mentioned the travel. Obviously, it's crazy flying all these crazy trips and some of the road trips, seven, ten days, whatever they are. What are you guys doing to minimize the damage of the travel schedule? Yeah, uh, I think it starts with education on the front end, honestly. Um, and so while we do try to do certain things like um, give them some hydration packets on, on the plane or long flights and encourage them with the sleep hygiene stuff when they get into their rooms. And um, But for us, it really starts with like educating on the front end about the habits that lead into those, you know, two week trips. It's, hey, I know you feel fresh now, but understand that that is a guaranteed sleep deprived situation. Yeah. So can we bank some recovery on the front end so that we can kind of make it through those those times? Because uh, no one's going to be extremely fresh during those times anyway. So how do we just bank some recovery on the front end to really minimize the fatigue that accumulates on the back end? So it's a lot of just education on sleep and nutrition. Um, and then during season or during the trips, excuse me, uh, you know, we might do some hydration stuff during the during the plane flights, especially if we're going coast to coast. Um, they might be wearing some compression or some stem units, whatever our athletic trainers are encouraging. Uh, once we land and get to the to the hotels, 
if it's a coast to coast trip, what we're doing now is we'll actually land and go right to practice. Okay. Uh, and the reason we do that is really just uh, to appreciate just their clocks and, and their internal yeah. clocks and know that, hey, even though it's 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. on the East Coast, uh, your clock is 4 p.m. Yeah. and you're not going to go to sleep when you get to the hotel right, anyways. Right. And so rather than waking you up the following morning to go to a shoot around, and now we're waking you up at 9, p- 9 a.m. our time, but it's 6 a.m. on your clock, and yeah. you just try, rather than trying to fight that, um, we just kind of accept, like, you're not going to sleep anyways. Yeah. So we might as well go knock out the lift, or excuse me, the, the uh, shoot around, so it's really a low-level practice. Uh, we might as well go knock out that, do our walkthroughs, and then let you just sleep in through a brunch meeting all the way to 11. So, um, so that's something that we, we're doing a little bit of just to try to, really get them as much consistent sleep as possible rather than breaking that up. Um, and then when we do land at a hotel, so let's say we play you know, in New York and then we head over to uh, DC or whatever it is, or if maybe we're just going right over to Brooklyn. Um, once we get to a hotel, let's say we land at, we get there at 2 a.m. So a lot of people may not know, you actually fly right after a game in the NBA typically. Okay. Uh, so we play and you know everyone else goes home to their yeah, families and right. we go to the plane and we fly somewhere. So, uh, But when we do get to the hotel, players are encouraged to go right to their room. And then one of our roles as the support staff is really to help out our equipment managers yeah. to pull bags. So the truck yeah. comes up, we have you know 100 bags. Um, we're pulling those, we're tagging them, and we're getting those up to their room. So you know they do have the luxury of just grabbing their keys. There's no check-in, all the keys are laid out. So Good. just trying to minimize the obstacles in their way to really get to their room and relax. Um, so those are, you know, just some things that we're trying to do to help encourage recovery and fight the fatigue of a trip. And were you, did you help kind of spearhead that, uh, idea or was it, you know, you and the medical staff together or was it kind of something that, you know, you guys brought up and had to sell the sport coaches on? No, I think it's honestly, I think some of that was, was already starting to transition before I even got to the NBA. So I can't take credit for, for that idea. I think it makes sense for sure. And so there's conversations of what makes sense. So. You know, we might sit down in front of a schedule and say, hey, what makes sense here? What makes sense there? Um, but some of, like, the landing and going to practice stuff has, has been done, and, and the coaches understand it. Uh, and coaches typically understand that, hey, we got to do what we can to keep these guys fresh because they want to win games, so they don't right. want fatigued athletes anyways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can't really take credit for that, but sure. I definitely can appreciate why we do it. Yeah, nice. How big is, uh, you know, with all this technology stuff that's coming out, and, you know, are you guys utilizing that to – to give your coaching staff, you know, better information? Are they open to it? Is it something they're interested in, something they're not interested in? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, te- the technology boom in, in sports science uh, and, and in training is obviously amazing, uh, just how much is out there now. And uh, so we don't give too much information to our coaches. Uh, we do. I, part of my role um, is, quote, unquote, sports science, um, which I don't even know what that means. I mean. Right. We should all be doing sports science, the yeah. science of sport, right? Yeah. That's what the NSCA is, is literally doing. Uh, so, but part of my role is kind of that, is sports science. And with that, what I really look at is just workload monitoring. Uh, and that's kind of what the dissertation was in. So we are tracking some things from, from a game load perspective. And then we do some wellness surveys. Uh, we do some practice stuff. And so that information will occasionally get communicated and reported to a coaching staff, but only really only if, if I think it's extremely relevant and, and going to make a, an impact on what they're doing, maybe a game rotation, who plays that night, who needs certain minutes. Uh, but rarely do we take it there. Uh, and I think there's, there's this huge thing in the NBA about resting players and so much so that the NBA has changed rules. And, uh, so because we can appreciate that coaches – 
want to win games and they don't really care for a quote-unquote sports science um we really want to frame it in the right way and only give it when, when it's needed. Now, within the weight room, though, there is a lot of technology we have in there, obviously, with some velocity-based training stuff. Um, we have an isokinetic squat machine. We have a, uh, a radar gun for our medicine ball wall. We have a K-box with a K-meter. So we have a bunch of things in there, and we do track some of those things. Um, and then we also play to those metrics as just really to drive intent or competition in the okay. weight room. Yeah. So, you know, if we're, if we're doing a speed squat day um, – some days it's, hey, we want to hit a certain number, right, um, one meter per second. Uh, other times it is, we just, it might just be we put a weight on the bar, and now it's, hey, who can move that the fastest, okay. right? And so that's kind of a different way to look at it. Um, and that's been great for us, honestly. Like, yeah. we, might be do, we might do speed bench, speed squat, some barbell jumps. Um, and we've, we have, you, these guys are competitors, right? Yeah, right NBA right. players may not necessarily be weightlifters, yeah. so they may not want to live in the weight room, yeah. but they definitely want to compete. Yeah. And so yeah, when yeah. we start when we start showing numbers from the ice connect squat machine or um our velocity based training stuff guys get under and they go you know and they're like man i'll beat that right now let's go um so it's cool so really from an intent side is where we're getting using the technology to drive training efforts which hopefully lead to training adaptations obviously that's cool maybe that engages guys a little bit more that may not have been Mm -hmm. super into lifting in the first place right yeah a little competition that's awesome uh, you're talking about uh, game load, workload, stuff from your dissertation today. What's kind of a real quick and dirty two-minute drill on, uh, you know, what what the gist of that presentation is? Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's a big, I think, uh, boom in the literature right now on workload monitoring. Uh, acute chronic workload ratios are, are huge, obviously, right now. Um, and so... I kind of talk through what the literature is starting to suggest as far as that stuff goes, right? The relationship between workload and injury and um, the short synopsis on, on what the literature is suggesting currently is uh, we know that if you do too much, there's probably an increased risk of injury. And we know if you do too little, there's probably an increased risk of injury. Uh, you can use an acute chronic workload ratio potentially to really understand what those two areas are of too little and too much. Um, but we really aren't that confident in those things, right? Like. The listeners are probably like, man, everyone knows that, right? Like that to me, that's strength and conditioning, right? That's yeah. proper periodization or programming. Um, and I remember just thinking back to my first year as the head guy, sitting in a room with all of our sport coaches, our head coach, brand new coaching staff. Um, and I come in and I'm like, hey guys, I want to talk about sports science. And they're like, oh, who is this nerd, right? <laughs> who is this kid nerd that we just gave this job to? And I and I remember telling them like, listen, honestly. Like, I read the literature, and I'm telling you, all we really are confident is if you do too much, you probably might get hurt, and if you do too little, you might get hurt. And I remember them kind of looking up like, you went to school for that? <laughs> um, and so that's kind of my way to get them to buy in. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not that complicated. Right. Um, so from there, though, I think there are some certain strategies that strength and conditioning or, or sports science professionals should be using yeah. to manage those loads to make sure that we're not doing too much or too little. Um, so some strategies that I go into later on are um, things like building chronic loads, right? If we know that a training camp or a four games and five nights, um, if we know what those loads might look like, then we really want to build up a chronic training load to that point, right? right? The first time that we put a player through those loads shouldn't be in competitions right. we want to build that capacity early um i think you want to appreciate just the idea of there's times when your athletes are fatigued because they've just been put under too much load um maybe you mismanaged and didn't prepare them or maybe you did and they went into overtimes that you weren't prepared for yeah. uh, or maybe they're just fatigued and tired because the travel hit them harder. Um, that's hard to prepare for, right? So even if I prepare my guys physically for the distances, accelerations, and decelerations, 
can I prepare you for those same things while also being jet lagged? Right. Probably not, right? And then these guys, these guys go out on ta- to the town and they want to sure. enjoy their nights, yeah. so their sleep deprivation. So, yeah. um, so if if an athlete is fatigued because of too much load, um, what are we doing as strength and conditioning professionals to to really accommodate that? Right. If I had uh, a four by five back squat on my program for the day, and I see a guy comes in and I'm looking at his loads and those are high, and he's clearly fatigued, and the wellness surveys are confirming all of this. Am I going to stick to plan A or am I going to switch to plan B and maybe cut volume in half, right? Maybe turn that to like a tapered day. Um, Maybe we just switch the load from 80% to 50% and look at speed. Um, So I think it's it's building some chronic loads. It's appreciating that we may need to be a little more flexible and adaptable to the changes in our athletes' responses to those loads. and the last couple things I would go into are things like, can we separate the systems, the biomechanical and physiological systems, right? We know heavy decelerations might affect the hamstrings, for example, um, in a way that may not be conducive to more sprint work yeah. or more deceleration work. But we may be able to get around that by getting you on a bike and getting a physiological adaptation. Maybe we throw you in an alter G or throw you in the pool. Um, so how do we consider these different systems at play here? Um, so those are just kind of some of the things that, that I go into. Uh, later on today are there any quick and dirty uh super simple ways i mean you must you mentioned the wellness surveys are there mm-hmm. some really simple things that anybody could implement that you think would have a benefit to coaches yeah for sure i mean i think at minimum uh you want to do wellness surveys uh, i think that's extremely important just and it's honestly it's it's something that all strength coaches are doing like that's that's my thing with some of the sports sciences all these things you're probably doing sports science is just trying to put some numbers to it to keep it a little more objective so I'm already having the conversations with my players when they come in the weight room. Hey, man, how you feeling? And that's within the context of how was your weekend? Hey, you played well last night. Hey, oh, you got dunked on last night. So we're cracking jokes, but we're also checking in with you. And now I just write it down. Um, so I, we use a three-question survey um, for wellness surveys, a one through five scale, just to track that. Uh, I think that's easy and simple for everyone to do. I think session RPE is easy and simple to do. Uh, whether it's after a practice or a game, it's pretty easy to ask your athlete session RPE. You can use a 1 to 10 scale or a 1 to 5 scale. Um, so track some of that. And then I think you should probably be doing something with acute chronic ratios. And, and how you decide to go about that is really, I think, up to you. Uh, there's obviously some ways in the literature that suggest, but I think that the state of the literature isn't as robust as we think. So I think you should probably be looking at some relative way of understanding how much has the athlete done and how much have they been prepared for. So you might want to look at just minutes played in game. So yeah, an easy one sure. would be, you know, if you're a high school uh, strength and conditioning coach and you're working with a basketball team, just look at the player's minutes played per game and then compare that. You could just sum that up, compare that to the previous sum of last week, yeah. divide it, right? Divide week five by week four, sum of minutes played, and that's okay. going to give you a change in load for the week. Cool. Um, so you can do those things, and you, now you're a sports scientist, right? <laughs> right, right. Nice. That's awesome. So it doesn't have to be super complex. Mm, to know. Not at I all. I like it. Um, we talked about you kind of came up through the ranks. You were an assistant coach first, and now you have an assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh and you, do you have two assistants or assistant intern? You have two assistants. We have, uh, so Evan Van Beesler is uh, the assistant for kind of me, I guess, or the, the Sacramento Kings, really not my assistant, right? It's the Sacramento Kings assistant strength coach. Uh, Ernie De Los Angeles is our G League strength coach, but the way we structured him out is uh, for six months, he's the head strength coach for the, for the uh, now Stockton Kings, which is our G League team. Uh, and then for the other six months when they're not in season, He's really just a member of our staff. Okay, uh, cool. And then we have an intern. So that's kind of our four from a sport performance uh, staff. And then 
our bigger staff is our sports medicine, sport performance staff. So we do have a director of sports medicine, a head athletic trainer, an assistant athletic trainer, and then a G League athletic trainer. Okay. Um, so collectively, there's eight of us. But during season, uh, it's really just me and Evan that will travel. Okay. And what when you were hire, looking to hire those guys, what are you looking for in filling those kind of positions? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's funny. I, I didn't even know Evan going into to the uh, the hiring process. I, I heard of him and, and a buddy of mine, actually, I love telling this story, a buddy of mine from high school worked with him. He was a facilities guy at Santa Clara and Evan was at Santa Clara previous and a good buddy of mine from high school calls and says, hey, this guy Evan said he applied and he's a really good guy and I'm sitting there like, or no, no, excuse me, he said he knows his stuff. That's what he said. And I'm sitting here like, yo, how do you know he knows his stuff? He's like, well, all right, man, I don't, but he's a good guy though. I'm like, all right, that's all I need to hear. Um, so he had a good resume and, and I, he had a good coaching presence to him. Yeah. Um, so interviewed him and, and being, you know, relatively young at the time and, and still obviously, but uh, because I'm relatively young in the field, I don't have a, a large coaching tree that I can pull from. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to like time to make a hire, it's not like I got friends of mine ready to take right. jobs, right? right. Um, so I knew that I was going to be taking a risk anyways. Yeah. Um, but I had a feeling he would do a good job. And ultimately, I had a, a good feel that he was a good person. Yeah. Um, in the NBA, you got to spend a lot of time with people. Yeah. Right? We're on yeah. the road literally every day together. Right? There's a lot of time spent. So um, the bigger question for me was, can I have a beer with this guy? Right? Can yeah. I really hang out with this guy? Is he going to bring a different perspective to me? I didn't want a yes man that was just going to yeah. agree with me because I still want to grow and develop. Yeah. I'm certainly not at a point in my career where I'm done doing that. So I was like, okay, let's get a guy in here that you can learn from and learn with and grow together. But, hey, you can also have a beer together. Um, so that was the kind of hire with Evan. And then Ernie was actually an athletic training intern for us okay. uh, my first year in the NBA. And although he was an athletic training intern, he would always come in the weight room uh, and ask me questions. And I was always lifting, so he would jump in the lift. He was asking a lot of really good questions uh, and really just remind me of, like, myself with the passion of asking questions and really nice. wanting to get better. And um, So you fast forward a couple of years, and we had an opportunity to bring on a G League strength coach. Uh, he had finished a master's in sport performance. He had been dabbling in coaching already. He was the head athletic trainer at UOP for a couple of years. So he'd been around elite level athletes or at least collegiate athletes. Um, and so, again, it was just like, hey, this guy is ready to learn. He's ready to grow exponentially. He's a really good person. He's a hard worker. The big one with the G League hire was I need someone that can grind, man, because yeah. the G League is not the NBA. Right. Um, it's getting better as far as, like, the logistics of games and those things. But um, – there's times where I might call Ernie at 2 a.m. and say, hey, can you get this done? Um, and I know that he he would do that for us. Um, and so I, I wanted a guy that I can trust, you know, no matter what. And so that was easy to kind of bring him along. Nice. And you guys have interns. Uh, you actually have an intern position that's posted right now. It's not going to be in. It's going to be filled by the time people hear this podcast. But what are you looking for in intern positions? Yeah, uh, I think the same idea. Um, for us, the minimum that we, that we require is a CSCS, and, and we prefer some coaching experience. Um, through the interview process, it's really like, can we let's fill this guy out, make sure he's not going to be too much of a fan of these right, guys, right? right? Like, right. you get some of that. Like, these guys just want to be in the weight room with NBA players, and um, yeah, sure. Like, we all do. Like, it's fun. These guys are fun, but but ultimately, we need someone who wants to be a strength coach first, right? Um, and so that's kind of where it starts. And then beyond that, it's just kind of, hey, what else can you bring to the table? Can Again, can we trust you to do things? Our, we like to give as much responsibility as we can on the front end. We don't have this idea of like, hey, you're an intern and you're just going to clean weights for us. Like, absolutely not. Like, you're going to come in and I need people that are going to take work off my plate, right? right, what, right. what can you help me with? Um, 
And on the flip end of that, we have a responsibility to educate you and, and help your growth. But we re- we definitely want someone that we're going to just consider an extension of our staff rather than intern. Our, and our last intern, um, Josh Washington, who's now with Auburn, he, he's a GA with Auburn. Um, that's exactly what he did. So whoever we do end up hiring, got some big shoes to fill to, yeah, to yeah. come into this role. But um, yeah, we're just looking for someone that's hungry, um, hopefully with a little bit of experience, someone who enjoys basketball because you're around it a lot, but isn't necessarily a fan of, right. of the NBA in, in a sense of like, hey, I just want to hang out with these guys. Yeah. Um, so all of those things come to mind yeah. for sure. Is that, is that a whole season long internship or a year? Mm-hmm. Is it a year long position? What's the? Uh, yeah, we can keep them up to a year. Okay. Um, so we'll start it in August. We'll bring them in, and then they'll be with us through our season, uh, which um, NBA regular season ends in April, and then playoffs begin after that. So hopefully, hopefully they're with us longer than that. And then after that, it's really like, hey, you're welcome to stick around for the draft process and help us up until the year point because we're happy to have you. But ideally, you find a better opportunity before then. Yeah, cool. And so, and what a, what does an intern in the NBA do? If I if I'm if I'm applying for an internship, what am I what am I looking forward to? Obviously, I mean, you mentioned it. You know, I'm not going to be around athletes. But what what do I actually do as an intern in the NBA? Yeah, is it, well, it's it's a big time commitment because you're in there pretty often. Obviously, just with the, the same as we are, um, but. We kind of start our interns off with, hey, just kind of just watch and get a feel for guys as they come in. Just say hello and let's build that trust before you start trying to fix a squat, you know, learn a guy's name. Um, and so the front end of that is really just just kind of shadowing, if you will, and then making sure obviously the weight room's cleaned up. And and um, and really that's our chance to fill them out. We want to hand them responsibility as quick as possible, but we also want to fill them out and see if they're ready for those roles. Um, but then beyond that, there's definitely some the coaching. Um, so like we'll start with our guys with. We kind of start every session with a prep package or like it's kind of our specific warm up to the training for the day. Um, we'll try to hand that off quickly. So the interns probably coaching the, the prep packages um, for us. And then they're going to be help. They'll help load the plates up as we coach the bigger lifts um, and maybe listen to our cues and maybe have a conversation. Hey, what do you think about that cue? Uh, and then after that or, or actually before that um, leading into practice. There's some catapults that we put on players, so you're probably running around and making sure guys got their catapults on. We might have sent you upstairs to make sure all the catapults were turned on and laid over their chairs. We might have sent you upstairs to make sure the supplements were laid out where they were supposed to be laid out. Um, then during practice, it's pretty dead, but we, well, our internship is, is rarely dead because we run it kind of like a master's curriculum. That's my goal is to really educate. So. Um, so during practice, you're probably reading a paper that's part of a unit. So if it's a hypertrophy unit, then you're probably reading a Brad Schoenfeld paper. Um, and and then after practice, you're collecting monitors. Uh, you put, get them all in. Uh, after that, I'm probably teaching you how to build a report or something just to kind of show you what I'm doing on the back end. Uh, and then from there, practice ends and, and the day kind of slows down. Uh, but then beyond that, we probably expect you to work out with us and train with us. And you don't have to do what we do. Uh, but you definitely want to train because I'm a big believer in practicing what you preach, obviously. Uh, so that's kind of, I guess, some of the responsibilities. It's really just an extension of our staff. Whatever I'm expected to do, you're probably going to be helping me do it. Yeah, that's super cool, man. Might, I might be applying next time. <laughs> watch out. Uh, well, I, don't know if, I don't know if we have any polos to fit. <laughs> Keep your eyes peeled for uh, King's internship in the future. Uh, and you guys, this year, you you uh, put on your own sports performance conference, right? What was that like? How, why? I guess why'd you decide to do that? It's looked super cool. I, I told you I'll try and be there next year, but uh, you know, how'd you get involved in that? Yeah, that was uh, it. It was amazing, man. Like 
I mean, you see I'm smiling now, but like, <laughs> it, it, was, it was just cool to come together. It was something that I've always wanted to do. So I grew up in the Bay Area, an hour from Sacramento. Uh, my mom still comes probably too many games. She thinks she's a dang <laughs> season ticket holder. Um, but it was something where it's, you know, I'm, I'm relatively young, but and I know that I got here from other people. And so, you know, I feel obligated now to just pay it forward. Um, and so it was that was kind of my way of like, man, you've got this platform now with the Sacramento Kings. Um, how can you use this to really just, just connect people and help people grow and, and learn? And, um, and so, and I try to do that through like Instagram or social media, right? I answer every single yeah. message I get. And uh, it makes my girlfriend angry half the time because I'm always on my phone. But um, it's just a responsibility I feel like I have because I remember the first time I got a call from an NBA team, I was like, I remember calling my family, like, I'm going to the NBA. Like, you got a job? Like, no, nah, I got a voicemail, though. Like, <laughs> um, so it was really that. I think that was the driving force behind it. And then um, so as I became the head guy, I was like, okay, now you can do it. Um, so we spent a year uh, kind of talking about it, honestly. And then 2018 came around New Year's, and um, I was – kind of done talking about it and yeah. just wanted to be about yeah, it yeah. Um, so I had my, my girlfriend's a designer I had her create a graphic put it on Instagram and the feedback was pretty good and I'm like oh alright well and it's out there now so you can't turn it back yeah, on right, it right. and it didn't even have a date on it it just said yeah. spring 2018 because <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to fill it out um, and so from there it just was like okay let's do this yeah. and uh, we started with the idea of uh, like hey let's do uh, $50 maybe 50 people that was kind of like what I told our staff and I'm like hey if a student can't afford it that's fine. We'll let them in free. If they message me, I don't. it's not about making money. Let's connect people. Uh, well, that quickly turned – we underpriced it given our speaker lineup. Yeah. Uh, and so we sold 100 tickets six weeks prior to the event. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. So we had to wait list it. We ended up with a big wait list. We couldn't even let everybody in. Um, the speakers came together beautifully. They're all people that I know and work with, but they're all well-respected in the field. Um, and so from there, I was like, okay – I clearly need sponsors because I, I didn't think about any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, no, you just invited someone from uh, – you just invited Mark Fitzgerald from the Anaheim Ducks. How are you going to get them here? Well, you got to fly them here. Well, you need the hotel room, right? And so it's like – and you probably should give them a speaker fee because they're professionals. And so it's like, oh, man, there's a there's a dollar amount here that I have to earn now. Uh, but we, we weren't going to earn it through the ticket prices because we, we messed that up. Um, so I had to go get sponsors. And so that was like an interesting thing. But it was cool because it was all – it, our role with the sponsors was uh, we would only bring you on as a sponsor or a vendor if we work with you or know you personally. And nice. so we had sponsors that wanted to help us out, but it's like, no, like we don't yeah, need your money. Maybe. We're not going to sell the integrity of our conference yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, so sponsorships came together. We had almost 15 of those. We ended up with 120 attendees, 150 people in the room. And then the setup was amazing because I went to our general manager and said, hey, I'm going to have a symposium here. And he's like, ah, oh, what do you need? Do you need some money? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't need money. But just, just to use the court. And he fully supported it. And nice. was like, absolutely, whatever you need. And, um, and so as soon as the general manager approves of something in the NBA, you, you're going to get support. So I ended up with event coordinators and <laughs> wow. I, we had a huge stage and we had a DJ, like it was crazy. Um, and so it's funny. I was super like grateful for everyone. And it's funny because our event coordinator and our, and our facility staff were probably looking at me like, dude, we do this every <laughs> right, other night right. for 20,000 yeah. people. Yeah. Your 150 people was nothing. Uh, but for me, it was everything. So it was it was awesome, man. We're already excited about next year. Yeah. Um, we don't know how we're going to 
you know, do it next year? Because there's kind of a debate now. Do we want to grow it bigger right. or do we want to keep it small and intimate? Because that was one of the big feedbacks was the intimacy of yeah. it. Um, and we did a lot on the front end to try to drive networking. So like yeah. our icebreaker was, um, I remember I told everyone, hey, everyone, get out of your chair, head to the other side of the court. And people were like walking. So I like got in a coach mode. I'm like, oh, y'all don't listen, huh? Get on that side. So everyone kind of <laughs> jogs over. And um, it was kind of like, hey, if you're from Sacramento, start walking the other side of the court. And people start walking. I'm like, look, man, you are all in Sacramento. There's no reason you're not having beers and coffees with each other. Start talking. So they start talking. And I was like, if you're from Bay Area, California, from somewhere outside. So we let that ride for a little bit. Um, five minutes later, we came back the, the other direction on the court. And it was, hey, are you a professional strength coach? Are you collegiate? Are you high school? Are you um, in the private sector? And so same idea. And so we ended the icebreaker by saying, look, you all brought business cards here. And I get why. But that's not networking. Network is connecting. And so that was the theme of the day. Um, and obviously it was mixed in within a great speaker lineup in education. So um, so it was awesome, man. I, I'm like nervous for next year. Am right, I going to be right. able to like re- yeah. redo that? So. You got dates set already? or <laughs> No, um, not yet. Um, it's really just going to be based on obviously our season. So uh, okay, right, if, right. if we make the playoffs, then... Um, then it would have to be later than April. Um, yeah. And if we don't, then um, it could be at the end of April. It was at the end of April this last year, and yeah. it was nice because the weather was nice. But um, I, I hope that we have to wait until July because I want to keep, you know, right, it would be right, great right. to make a deep well, playoff run. winning for sure, man, yeah. Um, cool. Well, I know you got a presentation to get ready for, and this has been a great podcast, a lot of information in here. If people uh, haven't connected with you yet, what's the best way that they can reach out and find you? Yeah, so uh, my Instagram handle is just Ramsey underscore Nigem, I believe. Let me double check that. Uh, and then my Twitter is, yeah, so Ramsey underscore Nigem on Instagram. Um, Twitter is Ramsey underscore M underscore Nigem. I had to put an M in. That's my middle name. So um, so those are probably the two easiest ways to, to just kind of contact me. Um, like I said, I answer every message, so I I don't want to. I know that this NSCA coaching podcast is starting to blow up, so I don't want to yeah, be inviting yeah. too many. But, um, right. but yeah, I, I love connecting with people. So those are the two easiest ways to get a hold of me. Yeah, and definitely, if people want to check you out, your Instagram is pretty cool. You got a lot of guys training. You got you and Evan training, getting after it, pushing each other. Yeah, most setting PR. So it's always following nice to on see. farm, following the Coach Caulfield <laughs> arm farm. You got to keep that up. Uh, appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to hearing your presentation this afternoon. So thanks for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We truly appreciate your support, and we wouldn't be able to do this without you. So keep on listening. If you enjoyed our episodes, please go write us a review at iTunes or Google Play, wherever you download your episodes from. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get these delivered to you every other week right on time. You don't want to miss the next one. Uh, also, you can go to NSCA.com and check out the episodes there if you prefer that. And as well, check out our new website and everything that's going on. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time. 